welcome to Bottom Line's Conversations with the Experts. I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert sourced, expert vetted, and expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to leading tax expert Ed Menlowitz. He's a partner at Witham Smith & Brown with over 40 years of public accounting experience. Among his many accomplishments, Ed has testified before the House Ways and Means Committee on Tax Reform, Reduction, and Fairness. He's the author of 25 books and is a very longtime member of Bottom Line Personal's panel of experts. And we're very excited that Ed is also the author of one of our newest blogs, The Payless Tax Man, which can be found at our website, bottomlineinc.com. And Ed, I'm so glad that you're talking to me again today. So thank you for being here. Hi, Sarah. Nice to be here. It's great. Well, we're having a great series of podcasts that we're doing on the financial implications of marriage, first marriage, second marriage, third marriage, and now we're going to talk about divorce. Um, you have, so needless to say, there are many people that have been taken to the financial cleaners as a result of divorce. And you've said in articles that the first step when thinking of divorce is not get out of the house and get away from your spouse, but it's talk to your tax expert and financial planner. So why is that? Actually, I've had people call me first to tell me they want to get divorced. What should they know and what should they say uh, before they told the, their spouse? Um, which is a smart thing. That's what you say. That That's actually, is, a, from a financial point of view, the smart way to do it. There's two issues. The main reason they call me is mainly over the taxes. But the taxes is sort of going to disappear because starting next year, people that get divorced, the alimony is no longer going to be deductible for new divorces and no longer going to be taxable. But there's still big issues in splitting the assets. I would think the first question would be, can they afford to get divorced? Nobody could really afford to get divorced unless they're, they, they're mega rich. What a divorce means that there's two separate households have to be maintained. I don't care who you are, very few people have enough money to maintain two households and then the money gets split up. So it, it, from a financial standpoint, it never really pays. The other thing is um, people who get married, let's, who get divorced, say they're in the mid 50s, they, they sort of have their future set for themselves when they're going to retire, their, their retirement income, all this other stuff. And the divorce really shatters their financial security. So it's a big financial issue getting divorced. On the other hand, people don't want to stay married um, to someone that they uh, may not like or may not want to be married to anymore. If they, uh, you know, if there's another party that they want to get married, well, th that is part of the problem. They probably were looking because they weren't as happy in the relationship. But it's always going to affect them financially, unless is, you're, you're mega rich. Is it a consideration, assuming you can stand each other, but you just decide that, you know, you're good. I know people who are decided they were good friends, but they really didn't want to be married to each other, that to simply, I'll call it separate, live separate lives, maybe even continue to share the house, but not get divorced, like still stay married until such time as you really have a financial need to do that. Like you decide yeah. you want to get remarried. Yeah, people do that. In fact, I, I've seen it happen more where, um, where, where one, let's say the husband has a woman on the side and he wants to get divorced. And by not getting divorced, he doesn't have to get married again. So, <laughs> no, no, no. It is, so it, it, there's an advantage to him 
to, to live a separate life from his wife and not get divorced. And of course, blame it on the wife. But, um, you, you know, if you're living together, you know, if you're getting divorced, you can't stand each other at some level. So why are you going to keep living together? Well, I was more on the financial. I'm, I'm really focusing on the financial aspects and not the emotional aspects. So if you can stand each other and if your house is big enough and you can kind of manage to cohabitate because you said one of the, you know, financially no one wins in a divorce because now you have to take one set of assets that's been managing one set of assets, right? So you, And now you have to be able to afford two entirely different households. So I was more trying to think, is there a reason why someone would actually, you know, stay managing one set of households but live their separate lives? Well, uh, people do that because of the money. But I think on balance, we're talking about money issues. It always pays not to get divorced financially. Uh, on a lifestyle thing, that that's your individual thing. If you don't get divorced, but you're still living together, are you eating your meals together? Are, are you going to, the, if you have young children, are you going to children's uh, schools together? At what point do you say, you're just sleeping in different beds, or different bedrooms? Um, you know that that that's complication, but from a financial. But people do get divorced. People do things. A lot of people smoke. A lot of people are overweight. A lot of people eat Big Macs. Uh, people do things that are not necessarily good for them, uh, and 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 good for them financially. If you get if you get diabetes, it's going to be a big drain in your finances. But yet people keep eating this this stuff they're not supposed to eat. Well, good point. Getting getting divorced. If you're not if you're not happy with the lifestyle with this person, you get divorced and you move out and you start a new life. But from a financial standpoint, it's going to cost money. And does There's it no var- question about it. So financial planning for a divorce, does it vary? And this is going to sound like an obviously stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, different strategies if you have no kids versus if you have young kids versus if you have kids that are um, 20 or above, or I'll call it finishing college or older. Now, I'm not talking 40-year-olds, right, or, you know, older, older, when they're really on their own. Um, no, that, that's a great, that's a, that's not a, that's, that's a very smart question. Yes, there's big difference. If there's no kids, it's easy. It's just the two of them. There's no obligation to support anybody. Once they sign that agreement, whatever the agreement says, there's some obligation or they split up assets and goodbye. Once there's kids, you, you still got to maintain a family life uh, together. E- even if you're not married, you still got to maintain some sort of life with the kids. Also, both spouses have obligation for the support of the kids. Who are the kids going to live with? Um, do you have joint custody? Do you have, does one person have custody? Uh, th- these are major issues, and then you have grown kids. Uh, it really that that is not much of an issue for that. Uh, but but if if you're getting a divorce, and let's say the husband has given the wife a lot of money as part of the settlement, he may he may not mind giving her the money if he knew that someday if if she didn't spend it all, it'll go to his kids. So he might want to put in some sort of trust for her, but if he was given it to her outright and he has grown kids, he might not want to give her as much because he figures his kids are not going to, might end up not getting the money or, uh, you know, she could, or her husband could swindle her out of it. Is there anything that you can negotiate in the process of divorce that earmarks money for the kids at that point in time? Yes, absolutely. But you can't negotiate away support. 
you can negotiate the amount of support and, and how you're going to pay it and, and what the support, what comprises support and when support ends. But you, you actually, you, you could negotiate everything at the divorce. That's, that's why you're getting divorced. You can negotiate everything at all. And if it's not negotiated, you don't have to do it. Right. Well, I was thinking about, again, minimizing what you want to give to the spouse if you're fearful that it won't trickle down to the kids. Well, that's um, part of the negotiation. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, when you have an, a, a legal matter, it's not who's right and who's wrong. It's who has the better lawyer that wins. <laughs> well, you've got, you got your point there. Um, so here's a crazy question, and it might be an illegal question. Um, should you, if I know that I want to get divorced, should I start squirreling away money in my son back to sock drawers? You know, do you, right? Because, I mean, theoretically, they're going to do a full disclosure of everybody's assets and everybody tries to hide their assets. But is there a legitimate financial planning tactic if I'm preparing to divorce? Like if I'm a, if I'm a spouse and my husband's been the primary wage earner and now I'm going to have to be on my own and it might be a long fight before I get money from him, um, should I be putting money away someplace? The answer is yes. How you should put the money away, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, certainly not in the podcast. But if you know you because it's illegal, divorced, or because like because well, seriously, because it's sketchy, or because no, some yeah. of it could be illegal. It's just some too complicated. It be, some of it is complicated. Some right. of it is is just hiding the money. Right. And that and you you might have to disclose it all, but right. you, you could delay disclosing it for a number of months. Meanwhile, you, you still need money to live on. I, I've had people plan a divorce and, and they wait till, till a big check is deposited and they clean out the bank account and say, goodbye, I'm leaving. Um, I, I, I just met with a woman, um, actually she spoke at, at a program, uh, she's, she's with a not-for-profit called unchainedatlast.org and she helps women who were in forced marriages leave. She, it took her five years to plan her, her, the, to plan leaving her husband and she had to squirrel away money uh, and she squirreled away quite a bit of money so she had over that five year period so she had enough money to live on and, and she told us how she did it right. and, and, but it took her five years in, in a very unhappy uh, marriage now she, now she has enough for profit and she gives speeches on it you, you, you should not do anything financial without planning it without having a plan, without having an objective, having a way of going about it, a way of keeping the money. You, you know, a, a woman could, could hide money in the cookie jar and and the husband could know about it and then he could take it out. So she has to hide it in a place where uh, she might never look. This woman hid it in a box of uh, cornflakes. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Figured, no, a box of some sort, right. of, some, some sort of cereal. Because he figured that he'll never look there, but he looked everywhere else. Anything she had, she he, he would look at, even her person, real personal things. But he never looked in the uh, the bottom of cornflakes, the Rice Krispies. Well, it's sad. Uh, it's sad and frightening how crafty you have to be when you're getting ready to divorce. But it it depending on the the nature of the divorce, it's it's smart planning and smart financial planning. Well, every divorce is, is a. Uh, is a failure of, of a marriage. And uh, if you recognize that, that it's a failure and, and you want to now 
get rid of the failure as much as possible and go forward, you, you got to figure out the best way of, of taking care of yourself. And, and some of that involves not being careful, not being uh, upright and, 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 and fair and, and being doing shifty things. If, if the wife has to figure out how to get money, the husband has to figure out how to hide the money. You know, they're both or vice versa. Or vice versa. Right. Yeah, or vice versa. They're both trying to uh, come out of it as good as possible, but it, it, they're going to have lawyers. They, Depending on the situation, they may need forensic accountants. It becomes a very expensive situation. So the best bet is if they could could agree, you know, you go to some sort of mediation and agree on a settlement. Once there's kids involved, it's much harder because uh, who's going to be custodial? What are the visiting yep. rights going to be? Uh, what What's the money for the support? What's the money for, for college? Uh, what about private school? What about lessons? You know, everybody has, all the kids have lessons today. Yep. When I was a kid, we went in the street and we played stickball. Mm. Now, now kids have three lessons Every afternoon after school, they have three different lessons lined up. Uh, things things are, are different. Also, there's another issue. I'm going to pause it, you it, before we go on to your next issue because we're going to take a break. And then we will oh, come back. Well, I'm going to leave them on a cliffhanger. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come right back. So we're, we're on lessons that they need to, to fund. Okay, hold back. Hold on, Ed. We'll be right back. I'm talking to leading tax expert Ed Menlowitz about financial issues everyone should consider before they get married for the first time, married for the second time, third, fourth, fifth, and even if they get divorced. Ed has been providing Bottom Line's readers with his tax wisdom for decades, helping them pay their fair share, but not any more than that. His insights appear regularly in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, which is filled with information from America's leading experts on not just taxes, but on all aspects of your life including investing, living a healthy life, travel, insurance, retirement planning, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. All right, Ed, thank you for holding till after the break. I figured we'd leave everybody on a cliffhanger about, we're talking about divorce, we're talking about financial planning of divorce, and we're talking about expenses and managing the expenses in the divorce for kids' activities. Go cliffhanger. Okay, now, what about if there's after-born kids, maybe children born after the divorce from, from, the, from the couple? So somebody uh, divorces when they're pregnant. They could get divorced. She could find that she's pregnant. They could have. They could have. Fro they could fr freeze their their eggs out of sperm. Oh geez. Uh, no, these things happen. Yeah. I, I well, think pre it, I pregnant think he, and divorce is I think of all the time, but frozen eggs are sper like sperm. Now that's now you're in a whole other realm. Wow. Well, th this stuff. This is a, a new area right. that has to be looked at. I think one of the actors, Heath Ledger, died, and and he had children that were born after he didn't know about it after after he was born, after he died. How did they get How did they get taken care of? The other thing is, if there are unknown kids, maybe uh, people get married um, 
they get divorced. You know, they get married. They have lives, and then they get married. They get married, and then from a, a relationship ten years earlier that they didn't know about, that they had a child. And how does this get taken care of? And, and who pays for it? And what rights do they have when you're splitting up the assets? So, so this so, is so presumably. Are you saying that that's now I'll call it the the catalyst to the divorce? So that now no, no, that's the no, first it's being discussed. Well, no, I'm saying it's not a catalyst to the divorce. It's something that comes up as an obligation yes. of the of one of the spouses, or be of the father. The mother would always know if she had a baby. One would think the father may not know. So, so these are things. I've also seen situations where where you have not not wealthy people, but you have a stay-at-home mom with with three kids, and you have a, a husband. Who, who has a business, has a retail uh, business, and, and he's 20 years older than his wife. And he decides when he's 65, and there's no other woman or anything, he decides he doesn't want to be married anymore. And he doesn't want to have the obligation to uh, pay, to, he doesn't want to have any obligation of money. He, he gave the entire business to his wife. He says, I'm giving you everything. Goodbye. Just sign off. Leave me alone. You know he was in the kids' lives, and he started a new business. And she she actually had to start running the business. She did a better job than he right. did. So to your point, that you can negotiate whatever you want in a tax anything settlement. Anything can be negotiated. Anything is. It's everything okay. is negotiated. One of the things so, that people don't like about divorce attorneys, there's nobody. Very few people get divorced and say, "Oh boy, I got a great settlement." Uh, every, but no one's ever happy. Uh, the person paying always thinks he's paying or she's paying right. too much, and, and the wife uh, or, or, or the or, we, or the person receiving the money always thinks that uh, they they could have done better. Um, but the lawyers, what the lawyers do is they bring up forty things that nobody ever spoke about. Yes, that are important. That, yes. that are really important, but you don't talk about like like family heirlooms or or, or things that. Are not important monetarily, but have a sentimental value, and and they bring this stuff up because they want to cover every base, and and that gets the people. Sometimes that gets them madder at each other. Uh, you, you know, then then their uh, then their own relationship, and then they blame the lawyer, but the lawyers are doing a thorough a good job. Another big issue when people get divorced is how do you split the assets? Now. Someone could have a, a, a house and they could have an equal value of a pension plan or a 401k. They, the two things, could, the house, the equity in the house could be equal to the money in the 401k. Who gets the house? Who gets the 401k? Whoever gets the house is basically going to get it. When they sell it, they, they, there'll be no tax on the first 250000 of profit or 500 it, under certain circumstances, whoever gets the pension money is going to have to pay tax on it someday. So the value of the pension plan is not as good as the value of the house. So would you generally recommend your clients, if, if you were recommending me in a divorce, I'm not getting divorced, but if you were recommending me, what, what would I go for, the house or the pension? I would, I would have you go for the house. I'd have you go for the assets that won't be taxed again. You know, let, let's, say, let's say there's, there's stocks. 
let's let's say there's a two hundred thousand dollars worth of stocks and two that that have doubled in value, and two hundred thousand dollars worth of CDs. I'd rather have you get the CDs than the stocks, because the stocks, when you sell them, you're gonna have to pay tax on it. On the capital it's, gains. The capital gains on the CDs, there's no tax. So depending how you get the assets. Is now, it better to? Why would it be either or? Why wouldn't we split both? Because people become attached to something. If I was if I was representing a husband, I'd say uh, give it a stocks. If I was representing a wife, I'd say take the uh, assuming the the wife has less money, I'd say take take the uh, take the CDs. Uh, also, maybe the stocks are in a company that he works at. Right, but aside from I mean the house, you could say you have to sell the house and then divide the proceeds. But let's assume the house. Separate because you're not going to divide it in half, not going to no, take a chainsaw to it. But the CDs, the stocks, all that theoretically, we could split them in half. I could take half and you could take half. You could do that, yeah. yeah. But you can't split that. You could also split the house in here if you could say, Fine, uh, we're going to split the house in here, but you could keep living there for five years. And meanwhile, when you pay the mortgage, what part of the mortgage payment reduces the mortgage? Who gets the benefit for that? And who, who pays the mortgage payment? So you have an ongoing cash involvement and an ongoing involvement in the life of the person who's in the house. So the advice for people when they're going through these and going through the assets is to not just look at what the current value is, but to have the conversation with the financial planner in terms of the long-term tax implications of these. Yes. Now, if there's pension plans, the, what you said uh, is what I recommend to people, split the pension plans in half. And you could do that with a qualified domestic relations order, which is abbreviated QUADRO, Q-D-R-O. There you could split up the, all the pension plans in half. Got it. So, so, so that that's something I would so, always try so to So always do. conversation. So there's all these lists of, do we split it? Do I take this? Do you take that? How about lump sum payments versus alimony um, as the payer or as the recipient? Well, in new divorce, is not going to matter anymore because the alimony is not going to be deductible and it's not going to be taxable. Yeah, but so, would I rather have, um, you know, again, bird in the hand, would I rather get $100,000 now or would I rather get $10,000 over 10 years? No, you always want the money now. First of all, you don't want to trust the SOB. <laughs> <laughs> no, you always want the money now. Right. And and now there's no difference in tax-wise between lump sum payments and, and periodic alimony. So as a recipient, you want the lump sum payment. And then as the payer, obviously, I want to kick that can and do alimony payments. Yeah, but sometimes there are going to be periodic payments because, uh, you, you know, if the spouse that, that is making much less money uh, or maybe you had a stay-at-home husband or wife, uh, they, they, you, they now have to get rehabilitative alimony that's going to be paid, say, say a certain amount of money for five years. Uh, you know, you're still going to have that involvement. You're still going to pay it, just that the taxability of it has changed. The other thing is the person who's getting the money might want a life insurance policy on that person's life to ensure that if they die before the five years are up, mm. they get they get their money. Mm. So you, you have to have point. a life insurance. You yeah. have to have the life insurance policy. And then the question is, who owns the policy? Does this <laughs> does the divorce does the does the spouse who's getting the money own it and they could keep owning it forever and they have life insurance on their ex-spouse? Well, are they, does, are they simply the beneficiary of it? 
Yeah, that's right. Right. Or, or, and there's a way of you could put in an irrevocable life insurance trust within a beneficiary to the extent that there's an unpaid alimony obligation. So, so there's a lot of issues. To me, it's very interesting. Uh, actually, in any professional, it's very interesting. But to the people going through it, it's it's terrible. It's devastating. We're translating whatever relationship these two people had into into dollars and cents and things and who gets what. And, and of course, you want guaranteed care for the children. From an emotional point of view, to that point, from an emotional point of view, is it best to let the experts negotiate with each other, the lawyers, the accountants? Just like I generally, if I'm negotiating a contract with someone I have to do business with later, I let the lawyers talk to the lawyers because when after the tough negotiation is done, I have to deal with that person later on. So is it better to preserve as much of the humanity as possible to keep the spouses out of the conversations as much as possible? Yes, absolutely. But for another reason, too, if you have two lawyers together and you have the client sitting next to them, the meeting is going to last four hours. If the clients are not there, the meeting will last 45 minutes to an hour. Because, and then everybody saves money. Yeah, because the lawyers the lawyers have to say things that can't upset their client. When they're negotiating, they can say anything they want. Got they, it. Get, they, they get what they want. So it's like watching, would you ever want to watch them make a hot dog? Oh, no. Well, you don't want to watch a divorce agreement get negotiated, <laughs> or you don't want to watch a prenuptial agreement get negotiated. What a horrible image. But now, speaking of prenuptials, <laughs> all right, we're going to stop talking about divorces. I'm going to thank you, Edmund Lewitz, for giving us your wisdom on divorce. Complicated, as usual, talk to the experts and plan ahead financially because there's so many subtle nuances to every single one of those deals. And sign up for Ed's blog, The Payless Taxman, at bottomlining.com. Thank you, Ed Menlowitz. Thank you, Sarah.